So welcome everyone to a very special episode. Looking back at five years of Blatheron with myself, Ben Mitchell, and animation comrade Steve Henderson. After five years. Yeah, five, goodness me, what a half decade it's been. Who'd have thought, eh, when we recorded that first episode? <laughs> huddled together over one microphone in my old apartment, breathing tea on each other, while my neighbours were alternately slamming doors or having loud, <laughs> inconvenient sex across the hall. And our David, the guy who used to run Squiggly, sat staring at us, you know, making sure we didn't go off-brand, I guess. That was more uncomfortable than listening to the sex noises. And who'd have thought uh, that from those, uh, from those seeds, this would grow to be a podcast that would ensnare the best and brightest of the animation industry. From indie heroes to major studio hotshots and uh, everyone in between. And some of our mates for good measure as well. Quite a lineup over the years. Surely there's a wealth of insight from these wonderful people, all our guests over the years, to comb through for a five-year retrospective. An embarrassment of riches, I dare say. But we're not going to do that. Instead, I'm just going to do like a clip show of the bits where you and I piss about between interviews. How do you like them, Apples? Well, rotten apples, but they'll do, won't they? <laughs> you know, we've been having a little sift through little moments of our philosophical, waxing, poetic, and uh, insights <laughs> into the industry. Projections, anecdotal, tiddly what's-its, and all sorts of good stuff. So uh, that's my plan for this one. If people want to hear uh, insights from, you know, industry experts, then they just have to look back at all the other podcasts and listen to those. Exactly. This is basically a, a service for the, the, the lazier uh, podcast enthusiast who wants to hear me and you ramble on for a bit. Trapes down a very bumpy memory lane. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing if these are the ones that where I have clearly just come back from Barnsley and I've got my Barnsley accent on, if we've got colds, if we're spouting a load of nonsense which no longer stands, I'm really looking forward to the embarrassment, if not the embarrassment of riches you promised, Ben. Now strap in, and away we go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you want to see something uh, pretty f***ed up? You know, you're talking about like how animation can be used like for all the emotion and all the joy and all the kind of, you know, um, good stuff. Okay. Here's a here's an example of animation being used for absolute shittiness. We'll see if I can get this. Look, Mom. I drew our family in school today. Oh wow! I didn't have time to finish Caleb's face. This is a little girl. She's it's like a sort of you know pseudo Pixar type American animation CG style. This adorable little girl, and she's showing her mother the picture she drew of the family. And creepily, she didn't draw her little brother with a face. I mean, there are some issues there <laughs> that uh, aren't being addressed. That's kind of glossed over. Um, but then, like, the the beginning of this little video is the little girl in school, and she sees one of the other family portraits that one of the kids drew. Okay, so she's now describing this picture to her mum. Okay. I didn't have time to finish Caleb's face. <laughs> Carrie drew two mommies. And at this announcement, the mother's face falls. Like, what the shit? <laughs> Two mothers? <laughs> she told me they're married to each other. My teacher says that all that matters is that people love each other and that they're happy. Okay, so, so far, this is a perfectly okay, you know, video until the fucking mother of the year chips in with us. And that they're happy. Hmm. Well, 
People have their own ideas about what is right and wrong. But what matters is how Jehovah feels. Ah, there we go. <laughs> and the penny drops. Uh, and then the style shifts to this kind of illustratory um, acidy animation telling the story about Jehovah and how, uh, of course, gay marriage isn't okay. <laughs> this shit really does creep me out. Like the, the use of the very accessible aesthetic that kids will immediately identify with. Mm. What did, by and large, very positive moral messages that I'm sure people who were subscribed to the doctrine, you know, would consider this a very positive moral message, except, of course, you know, the greater percentage of anyone with any common sense has kind of moved on a little bit. So it is quite odd in this day and age. It's 2016, and there's still, like, what is identifiable as propaganda, you know, but using this this very kind of cutesy, clean, almost Disney-ish uh, look to it. Because mm. I've I've seen a lot worse CG animation. I mean, there isn't a ver very much in it, and it's not brilliant, but like, it's competently rigged, and like, you can tell there's emotion in the acting. Because when the mum hears that her classmate has two lesbian mums, oh boy, is she not happy with this situation? <laughs> How do we get this kid out of school? Yeah, there's a lot of effort gone into this, isn't there? By the animation company. I mean, I, I don't know. There are two schools of thought on this: is that. I'm not entirely sure that this would represent all Jehovah's Witnesses. Maybe I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go so far as to say this is this is representative of them all. Every religion has its spectrum. Oh yes, absolutely. And this yeah. this was commissioned by somebody on the far end of of the Jehovah's Witness spectrum, the type where they believe that propaganda as a tool is justified. Uh, but I mean, for us. I'm not religious. I'm sure you're not as well. And it kind of like, it's it's a bit of a laugh, but it's terrifying at the same in the same way. I mean, I'm, I can quite happily laugh at the airport analogy in this in this in this film. <laughs> oh yeah, with the go through security, <laughs> trying to go through security, but he's got a bag full of facts and science with him, <laughs> and, he, and he can't. He's not bothered that people are in love <laughs> and that they can get on and raise a family. He's taking this bag through with him to what looks like a park, but they call paradise. He just needs to just leave it. Like, because in an airport, you just leave a bag in an, anywhere in the airport and you can just go through security and it's fine, you know. I love the, the lesson at the end. Like, this is how to resolve the situation. But I want everyone to get to paradise. So does Jehovah. Sure he and does. You know what? People <clears throat> can change. That's why we share his message. So, what can you say to Carrie? Well, I could tell her about the paradise. I could tell her about the animals and the resurrection. That oh, that'll make her the most popular kid in school. <laughs> Despicable Me Too. I saw it and it was, it was very, very lacklustre and disappointing and quite kind of boring. I was quite bored by it. Obviously, I'm not the... You know, a, a guy pushing thirties hardly the audience. Um, well, I don't know if you're representative of the average guy pushing thirty. Oh. Given given how much we're sort of invested in a magazine that focuses on cartoons, right? Okay. I think we're not exactly you know we're not the sort of like lager swilling football going jock types, really, are we? Not really. We for uh, whiskey. <laughs> exactly. We're more refined. A night of whiskey and Spongebob. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Don't all try and f*** us at once, ladies. <laughs> Form a queue. The thing that uh, my brother, of all people, who's not really into animation that much, 
described a hugely successful element of the Despicable Me franchise, the Minions, perfectly to me. And that's that they're basically the crazy frog. Oh, right, okay. Do you remember the crazy frog? And I think you could probably chart the downfall of society to how the Minions have been uh, received by audiences and applauded and how the crazy frog was just kind of hated from mm. from his creation up until this day. So they're that bad? Are they that bad? I really, I haven't actually seen the films. It's like that they're just there to fill screen time and right. to sort of run up to the, they're getting their own movie. Well, in, sell dolls as well. Exactly, exactly. It's like those uh, rabbit things in, in Rayman. Yeah, yeah, the rabbits, yeah. I just don't get it. That's, I, I just don't get their appeal. God, I just had a, a flashback, actually, to the crazy frog. Because that started as, like, an ad for, I think, a ringtone company. That's right, yeah. It was a ringtone. I think it was some guy who just made a sort of animation for, like, uh, for giggles with a friend of his. Mm -hmm. And then was able to kind of sell it to this ringtone company. And um, it was one of those ads that for a long time was only on, like, daytime TV cable channels. It wasn't that sort of scene the first sort of month or so. And I saw this ad, and I was on my own, and uh, I was still living with my uh, my dad at the time. I was still in school. I was trying to explain to my, my dad and my sister, there's this ad on TV. It's a frog in a biker helmet, and he's got his c*** out. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I... I'm trying to try trying to explain it to someone who hasn't seen it. Well, it's like he's tr he's sort of like revving up a motorbike, and he's like you know you know kicking the kickstand, but his his dick and balls are out. Like, and they're looking at me like they want to have me committed. Like what the? F and I swear to Christ, that advert never came on when they were watching TV. And as soon as one of them would leave the room, fucking crazy frog would appear. I mean that frog come back. Uh, they'd come back in and it had just finished. So did you sort of think like, he was a figment of your imagination? <laughs> ben, we know you want to see frog c but this is getting to be a problem. Anyway, finally, they they saw the ad, but at that point, other people, I guess, had seen the ad and had, like, complained, so they, like, blurred out the c Ah. Uh. So th then my frog c sightings to my family seemed like wishful thinking. <laughs> crazy frog <laughs> well maybe that's why it's called the crazy frog because uh 10 years it took to mend that riff <laughs> well the best thing was that uh the ringtone was so fun and playful it never got old <laughs> such a shame that uh, we don't see it around so much these days well as we're recording this podcast the news is Kind of, well, I don't know if you can call it news, really, but the the stories here and there about um, Studio Ghibli either closing or taking a break or not closing or God knows what's going on. But yes, the story is that uh, Studio Ghibli might be taking a break from its animation uh, activities for the time being. Well, I mean, that's sort of all it does as far as a lot of people are concerned, so... It's basically just sort of taking a break from existing, <laughs> I think. Yes. What's it? What's the replacement plan? It's sort of just handling its own properties, or I believe so. Yeah, becoming more of a, I don't, yeah, handling the the properties. I mean, it's quite. It's a popular studio, full of popular characters and plenty of of, of icons of, of of Japanese animation. They are the very best, I would say, uh, from a Western perspective, at least. 
at animation, you know, to come out of Japan. Yeah, them and those penis tentacle guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right, second best. They're the second best studio to come out of Japan. When uh, Disney stopped doing 2D, it's like people turned to Ghibli and pointed to them and said, look, over there, 2D is still being made and it is still beautiful. So, you know, by that situation, they are still big sellers in merchandise and, and everything else. So I, I would presume that that's what they're doing is just looking after the brand, really. Although there are rumours that they are restructuring the studio to make way uh, for the next generation that will take over. Because obviously Hayao Miyazaki has, um, has left the studio, he's retired. So there is that, you know, maybe they're just restructuring to, to you know, let the new blood in and, and you know, create some new stuff. Mm-hmm. Certainly the end of an era, either way. It is. But the, uh, there's another, there's a, an absolutely charming story that I read earlier on in the, in the month. And this was on uh, Rocket News 24. And it's uh, that Hayao Miyazaki, obviously he's retired, he's happily retired. And he's spending his retirement by spending every day at Studio Ghibli. <laughs> Which I think is an absolutely wonderful story. And it makes me, it reminds me of The Office, you know, when David Brent got sacked and he's still turning up for work every single day. <laughs> I guess this idea of, of Miyazaki running around just, <laughs> you know, trying to be everyone's mate and everything. When I graduated from my, uh, from my MA, I would keep going back to the uni because we kind of got shortchanged a little bit on visiting lecturers so they were very sort of nice enough to sort of let me come and see the lectures for the subsequent year group so I'd sort of feel like I got my money's worth and then I'd come back also to sort of catch up with the staff and catch up with people in the year below and punch light box paper and then it was just like I was the creepy guy who was just around the campus all the time <laughs> by year three it just got unpleasant you know so so this guy I guess he just really what, he feels a fondness for the studio? Or does he just, like, can't find his way home? Or what's the deal? <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 he must feel fiercely protective of his legacy. And why not? You know, you've, you've got to give him that. Spending 25 years building up this fantastic studio uh, with such wonderful films. And it would be incredibly difficult to just let it go, wouldn't it? Imagine that, like, pouring your life and soul into something and remaining fond of it. That's rather nice. Yeah. Well, I just can't imagine doing anything for more than 20 years and not wanting to put my head through a wall. Because yeah. no matter how satisfying anything is, like in the first like few years of doing it, if you're doing that one type of thing for that long, without any kind of significant change of scenery, unless you're really, really into it, that's got to kind of eat away at you a bit. So it's kind of nice to hear. Well, I suppose running a studio is a little bit different. I mean, you continue with, you're doing a different feature film every time. He's, he's putting his hand in producing other directors' works and every year won't necessarily be the same for him. And as the studio has evolved and, and began its relationship with the Disney, I mean, I'm sure the pitch changed year in, year out. So it must have been immensely entertaining. And let's not forget, you know, Miyazaki's retired about 15 times. And he keeps coming back. So is he retired? Isn't he retired? Who knows? Is the studio closing down? Is it, is it, you know, starting up again? Is it becoming a merchandise company? Is it becoming... Who knows? Just moments ago, Toshio Suzuki, Studio Ghibli producer, announced on the TV show of the MBS Junetsu Tairiku chain, effectively as announced as sources close to the studio, Studio Ghibli, 
will close and production studio anime, leaving himself only as a company that will manage its trademarks. It's that simple. <laughs> That's all we have to work with, by the way. That's the translation of the announcement. So no wonder everyone doesn't know what the f*** is going on. Did that make any... I mean, I kind of make a little bit of sense out of it, but you could see why there's a bit of a margin for error. Yes, yeah. You can see why everyone over here is just kind of scratching their heads and, and wondering what's going on. Read that out again. I don't think I can. I don't think my brain and, and tongue can work with... I can read more of it. In the interview, Suzuki has also admitted that it was a major setback for the study Progress Hayao Miyazaki, one of the reasons already unveiled the Portal Rakuten Woman. What? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> I'm terrified right now. I feel like I'm in the Black Lodge. Wow. Who did they ask? Did the person who they ask have tinfoil wrapped around the head or looking from left to right and chewing on the lips? I, I, it sounds... I, I downloaded an app for when I went over to Annecy a, a couple months ago. It's one of those things you point it at, you know, like a foreign language street sign. Mm-hmm. And it d- detects the letters and it does a kind of like on-the-spot Google Translate. It's completely f- useless. <laughs> like you, you hold it up to like a word like fromage and it comes out monkey tits. What? <laughs> But that basically has the same sort of translational ability as whoever put this piece together. Bless them. Seem to be the only ones who actually did it, but <laughs> there's a bit of ambiguity in the air, mm. perhaps. Yeah. Um, and it, assuming that this does at least mean the end of animation production or a sort of temporary end of animation production from this studio, I think people are feeling it. There's certainly a kind of social media ripple of... of Quasi mourning, I suppose. Yeah, if that's too melodramatic a term for this type of thing. But when it was out as news that they were actually closing, we had a few comments from people eager to share what their um, what their thoughts were about the possibility of the studio closing down. So yeah, let's read a few of them out. Why not? So J.K. Ricky at Animator J.K.R. We've had him on the podcast before. Everything ends and better than running into the ground. Um, can't wait to see what's next for the animators. It's a rather optimistic outlook there from JK. I agree there. It'd be nice to see uh, a little bit more variety from from the animators. I mean, they're free to to go elsewhere and maybe the talent there isn't Miyazaki and maybe the people working there will now be free to do what they want to do. Oh, so you're saying Miyazaki was the talentless one? I'm saying, well, yeah. That they were kind of propping him up? Oh, sure, sure. Kind of a sweeping generalisation there. It is, it is. I mean, I wouldn't commit to something that strong. Yeah. I kind of feel like that's the kind of thing that could, could have people turn on you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bring it. From Yong Cheng, definitely a great loss. They were one of the best around the world. Their films will be remembered for a long time, I'm sure. It was Yong Chen at KYCRUX. And I think uh, his sentiment echoes that of many. Do you have any particular favourite films? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest uh, Studio Ghibli fan, but you can appreciate their work, I'm sure. Spirited Away, The Wind Rises, The Grave of the Fireflies, just some amazing films just to come out of that studio. I do have a, a, a Studio Ghibli memory of uh, from a few years back. I was seeing a young lady who... Um, she had roommates, so occasionally when you're kind of, you know, walking about, like... At night or early in the morning, she'd lend me her uh, dressing gown, which, shall we say, 
fit rather snugly on me. She was a slender woman. And uh, it was this sort of blue-gray furry dressing gown. And she told me that when I wore it, I reminded her of a, a Studio Ghibli hero. And I'm like, ah, okay. Dashing Prince, no doubt. Or She goes, yeah, he's called Totoro. I'll show it to you one day. And then she did. <laughs> the thing is, you couldn't really falter for accuracy. That was the pisser of it. Excellent. Did you make it here swiftly? Was it an easy trip? It was easier than it usually is. Uh, whenever I usually get on an airplane, uh, I always never get past the uh, security barrier. I always have to stand there. You know, with my pants around my ankles because my belt's in the, uh, you know, x-ray machine and all that kind of stuff. But nice. it appears that, that all the, the bad luck has, uh, has, has befallen you this year, Ben, doesn't it? Yes, I've inherited it. <laughs> yeah, I made it to Annecy eventually. I had to get up at 4 a.m. this morning. 4 a.m. Because my, uh, I was advised by uh, my airline, by this fine company saying, uh, we're advised that Bristol Airport is extra congested on Sunday mornings. So get there extra early. So it was already an early flight. I got up at four, got there by five so I could bag drop. By six, they then told us that the flight was delayed by five hours. Uh, actually, it was actually a rather pleasant morning. There were some people from the Bristol scene in the same position. Uh, some rumpus folks and some cloth cat folks and some people from the, the, the west of England all congregate. We had a little shanty town in the Bristol airport for about four hours playing cards and stuff. So it was fun. But the day, as the day went on, it got more and more complicated. In hindsight, it, it's been an okay day. The problem was not knowing how things were going to turn out. It was like the kind of nightmare you have about traveling if you ever have like recurring nightmares where you have to get catch a train or a plane and everything goes wrong that could go wrong this was today for me and like it was just the threat of things more than the actual things that happened so for example here was the first fun incident of the day we're told by our airline okay so the reason why the flight's so delayed is that the plane is broken <laughs> but fortunately we found one that isn't so we're going to fly to you to Geneva eventually. It's a lot smaller than the plane that uh, was going to take you, so some of you ain't going. Ooh. <laughs> uh, so the first plea was, like, does anyone want to volunteer to not go and we'll arrange an alternate flight to Basel and that uh, you can somehow get to Geneva slash Annecy from there? Or we'll just say the, the last nine people to have checked in gets bumped. Uh, I guess that's what they went with because shortly afterwards, after no one volunteered, they just like made an announcement like, ding, 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 could the following passengers, and then just listed off nine names, please come to gate three where you're going to have your day ruined. <laughs> Unfortunately, my name and uh, the other animation people's names weren't on that list. So we were able to commiserate, but did make the flight, although it seemed like the first of two instances where I wasn't sure whether I was going to actually um, get where I wanted to get. I get on the plane and I have allocated seating. You know, you have the option to pick your own seat. And I'm like, well, I could do that as I'm checking in. Three pounds 50, f off. <laughs> Why am I gonna do that? Uh, good reason to do that. When I got there, um, it turns out that the row I was uh, assigned doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> the plane is too small. So 
here's some advice. Pick a row near the front. You'll die quicker if it crashes, but don't you want to die quicker anyway in a plane crash? So win-win, right? So I had to wait in the galley with like eight other people with the hope that maybe we'd get to sit down on the plane. But eventually, yeah, we, we were reassigned the seats from the nine people that were kicked off. And off we went five hours later. Uh, unfortunately, of course, my plan was to then take the shuttle from Geneva to Annecy with uh, my good friend, Squiggly Marketing Director Aaron Wood, who is sat with us now. Hello, Aaron. Aaron. He's not, he doesn't want to talk. The okay. joke is that Aaron will never appear on the podcast. Aaron's like... I've described Aaron as the sooty of Squiggly. He won't appear on the podcast and he won't speak. He'll rather just tap the desk and then whisper into one of ours ears so we know. So, so Aaron, tell us all about, all about waiting for Ben at the airport. Okay. Fascinating stuff. So yeah, didn't make, didn't make that shuttle. I didn't think it was very fair to make Aaron wait five hours and the, uh, the other four people that were going to go. So I'm like, I'll, I'll make alternate plans. So I do finally get there. Uh, everyone who I'm traveling with is like, oh yeah, we're all uh, on the Annecy shuttle, the official Annecy shuttle. They'll squeeze you in. And I'm like super optimistic at this point because otherwise I'm going to have an emotional breakdown. Like, sure, they will. So we head to the Annecy shuttle desk and I'm like, hi. <laughs> so my plane was horribly delayed. I didn't book with you. Uh, can I please <laughs> get a ride to Annecy? I'm like, oh, right. Is your name on the list? It might be. <laughs> it's worth a shot. <laughs> so I had to skulk away and uh, find the. I uh, went to the travel desk to ask for my options. Fortunately, other people were in the same predicament, more or less. Uh, I uh, paired up with a lovely young animation lady. So we spent the afternoon together traveling um, from the airport to Geneva Center, and then eventually we got on a bus. The buses leave far less regularly, uh, so we have about an hour and a half until our bus goes. So we're like, oh, well, we'll get a coffee. There wasn't many people waiting there at the bus stop. So we, we piss about for an hour, trade life stories, put the world to rights, become best buds, come out of McDonald's, and it's the biggest queue for a bus that's ever existed since the history of queues and buses. So uh, we're right now at the back of this queue. This young lady, my new best friend, uh, her name is Beatrice. She comes up with this grandmaster plan. She's like, you know, technically no one's actually formally said this is a queue. So let's go to the front. <laughs> so we did. Wow. And so we basically queue barged. And we managed to get a place on the bus. Some people did, which made, us, made me feel a little bit bad, but not that bad. Because at that point I was f***ing knackered. So my first stop upon arriving at Annecy was Captain Pub, where I have remained since. Nice. <laughs> and the here we all are. Of Captain Pub. <laughs> so comparatively speaking, how was your trip? It was fine. I've got nothing to report, really. <laughs> I really think that Sarah and Duck should have won above Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig is an excellent production. Kids love it. You know, it's great for um, Ashley Baker Davis. But Sarah and Duck deserves so much more than it, than it currently gets. It's in a very strong category, but it's a lot stronger than people give it credit for. Yeah, when it comes to sort of the accolades, it's been nominated for a lot of stuff that I agree it should have perhaps won for. But there is this kind of new kid on the block element to it, maybe. But I know Peppa Pig is sort of a British institution at this point. 
mm-hmm. you know it has a it's a fine tradition of, of teaching kids to swear as the daily mail informs us yes <laughs> what do you think to that i think it's quite sensible i think kids have to learn at some point or other <laughs> whether it's peppa pig or the squiggly podcast a little has got a yeah this is know. a um this is an article that you're alluding to from from a daily mail which i, I don't recommend you go on the daily mail website but um quite the article uh basically a mother accusing uh, her uh, uh peppa pig an episode where did they say rocking or something like that and it, and it sounds like uh, it sounds like f-ing, basically and let's punch it up shall we Kiana Cox from Cardiff regularly started using the F word at the age of two. It's a little bit kind of late, isn't it, to start swearing? I mean, is this a a story about a tragic kind of development of her not being able to swear until the age of two? It's it's heartwarming. She finally pulled through. (laughs) Thanks to Peppa Pig. It's basically this century's The Miracle Worker. (laughs) Should we have a listen? Wasn't she once in a pop group? That's right. She played guitar with the Vocking Gazelles. Um, that that is quite. That sounds nothing like it. It's just a Welsh accent, and she's Welsh herself. Is it sort of traditional to pronounce words that begin with R with a V? Yeah, I'm not lending credence to the claims of this dimwit, but <laughs> I can see why maybe she thought there'd be a Daily Mail story in it. Well, uh, I'm sure the money made off of the uh, off of selling her story will be able to purchase a lot more sweary Peppa Pig DVDs. Do you remember where you first heard that word? At school, probably. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought a hissing noise, the sound of the sound of pissing, was a swear word. Interesting. <laughs> well, um, we're talking really young. We're talking like where were you raised again? In Bradford. Okay, I mean, maybe that's just a defense mechanism. <laughs> like in the wilds of Bradford. Yeah. To sort of fend off attackers. You just hiss at them like, you know, it's sort of a feral thing. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a, uh, what are they called? Assembly, where everyone came into, into school. Uh, and we were singing The Wheels on the Bus or something like that. Or Old MacDonald. And it was something like the tires, uh, yeah, the tires on the bus go hiss, hiss, hiss. And it was And I thought everyone was making the pissing sound. To my tiny little four, five-year-old brain, they might as well have been saying the wheels on the bus say because the reaction to me was like, "Oh my god, (laughs) what is this filth?" (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's my that's the kind of earliest memory I ever get of uh, of swearing. And then you know, it's it's just language at the end of the day, isn't it? It's just a word. (laughs) That is true. What about yourself? When was the first time you heard uh, a swear word? First time I heard f***ing was in uh, Beetlejuice. And uh, it was just a word I didn't, I hadn't heard before. So I think I had to have repeated it at some point to then be explained, no, you can't say that. But uh, there's a point where um, an angry Beetlejuice kicks over, he's in the model of the cemetery and he kicks over the fake tree and he goes, nice f***ing model. (laughs) So a weird moment because he, there's no other real swearing in that film, and that's one of those films from when you're a kid that, in every other respect, is just sort of a kids' film. Yeah. Elsewhere, in the wonderful world of animation, when cartoons aren't brainwashing us or or, or turning our children gay, as is the uh, opinion of uh, where did that one come from? This was on uh, SlashFilm.com. It was a pastor in America, surprise, surprise, who said that uh, Frozen. Was turning people gay. How's it managing that then? I don't know. Have you got the story in front of you? Do you want to to read it out? 
Yeah, the pastor. Disney's Frozen is turning your kids gay, says pastor. And, uh, I mean, maybe it's gay in the sense that, you know, it's a Disney film and they walk out with gay abandon. Or had a gay old time. You know, a song in their heart. Job done. That's what the film's all about. First one you have given Swanson and the taking the hit animated adventure to task for pushing a progressive, pro-gay, pro-bestiality agenda. Interesting. I thought being progressive was good. Yeah, it, it turns out it turns out that it's not. I mean, I guess if you're still in that sort of antiquated way of thinking of that you're not allowed to be gay because the magic man in the sky will set you on fire. I would think yeah. that that's what he's subscribed to. <laughs> What's the pro-bestiality agenda? Well, he actually says, doesn't he, on this? He said that uh, Christoph in Frozen has an unnatural relationship with his reindeer, Sven. Because Elsa never ended up with a man, they argue, she's probably a lesbian. Okay, that's how it works. Have you ever come across a film that's turned somebody straight? <laughs> Very good question. Anything with uh, uh, Vin Diesel in it. <laughs> it just turns men straight and women to mush. What exactly is the gay agenda? Because <laughs> I keep hearing about it. What's their master plan, apart from just being kind of fabulous? I, I wouldn't know. I'm not subscribed to the gay agenda. It's almost as though they're just making this shit up as they go along. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost as if they've got some kind of other issue that they're trying to... <laughs> to stamp down. With, with something that doesn't really matter. I mean, even if we lived in, in some kind of weird world where physics, biology or social things were different and that films could turn people gay so what you know <laughs> there's a quote here from the guy his name is swanson if i was the devil what would i do to really foul up an entire social system and do something really 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 evil to five and six and seven year olds in christian families around america it's a good question you know i mean one way would be to give a sanctimonious pastor an outlet for Voicing his fatuous nonsense. <laughs> you know, that's something I might do in that <laughs> position. Animators do not need to push any kind of conceptual brainwashing agendas, like, with their films. or Especially not, like, spread them out over entire storylines. Because that's the whole beauty of animation. We have control of every moment to, like, one twenty-fifth of a second. So we can just throw shit in Fight Club style, <laughs> you know? Like, say, drawing a little graffito phallus on the mouse in an American tale. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the, uh, the actual animator. <laughs> I have to point that out because it's a previous guest that's been on the podcast that uh, animated that scene. It's, that was done post-production. Post I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't... Was that even real at all? Oh, it, it was... Apparently, somebody said that they found it on the DVD... But this could have just been uh -huh. uh, put in when the DVD was being transferred. I have no idea. Which would be sort of a weird thing to do. I mean, maybe, yeah, someone in post put it in on the film the, print. I think if um, I'd be more annoyed that um, if I've just animated this beautiful scene and put all the effort into the kind of the motion, the weight, the believability, um, and gone through all the principles and created a beautiful scene that people would actually attribute a crudely drawn penis... <laughs> to one single frame as if you're going to put all the effort in and then go you know what you know what this scene's missing I, I find it kind of interesting though the sort of a tradition of 
putting in little things here and there, you know, for one frame at a time or a couple of frames at a time and that subliminal stuff. But the problem is with that is that you get like a couple of quite interesting, quite compelling examples of, of so wow, they actually got away with that. Good for them. But then for every one of those, there's like 10 instances of like people just projecting, like really wanting to see something that isn't there. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to filter out the ones that are authentic from just the made-up nonsense ones. You've seen The Lion King, haven't you, with a bit where, where Simba kind of collapses and all these these um, like fauna goes flying, flora rather, goes flying off the, the cliff, and then Rafiki grabs it and sniffs it and knows that Simba's alive. And, and apparently mm-hmm. that says sex. Well, what people don't really realise is that was computer-generated, and the people put the words SFX in. So special effects. Oh, is that their line on that? Well. (laughs) Nice save. Yeah. (laughs) One of the biggest, like, fights I've ever had in a relationship, like proper yelling fights, was about the Roadrunner. And it was with an uh, older woman who, uh, I guess, didn't have the same kind of uh, uh, childhood fondness for the Roadrunner cartoons as I had. Her interpretation of the premise of the Roadrunner cartoons was that the Roadrunner was on its own in the desert being pursued by a gang of coyotes who had a series of, you know, whenever one of their plans backfired, it died. Like, the rock would fall on it or it would fall off the cliff. And then one of the other coyotes would have a turn. And it was just constantly being hounded by all the coyotes in this desert. I'm like, it's one coyote. It's yeah. how do you how do you not know that? And she's like, shut up. How is he going to survive a fall that high? And I was like, it's not a f-ing David Attenborough, <laughs> you dippy bitch. It's like, <laughs> leave, leave now. Get out of my house. But it was one of those arguments that should have been like a, a three sentence. No way, you're out of your mind. End of discussion. It became very important to this person that, no, it was actually about a bunch of coyotes and one red runner and not one. I was like, the character has a name. It got to the point where I'm, I'm like, we're going to go online and look it up. I was like, oh, Jesus, if it has to be that big. It's a cartoon, Ben. <laughs> it's, it's quicker to dump her. The reason we were talking about it was that we were watching, it was on TV. This particular episode ended with the coyote, Wiley Coyote, dressing up as a girl roadrunner. And it backfires on him when a thousand identical coyotes <laughs> appear out of nowhere and it ends with him running out of the <laughs> like and she looks at me and goes, Eh? <laughs> <laughs> what are the f-ing odds? What was nice there, it, 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 the atmosphere at Downing Street was it was like the British Animation Awards, but everyone was on their best behaviour. Apart from uh, one bad influence whose uh, identity I will protect by changing her name. So let's call her Koana Jin. Ah, fiendish. Yeah. Uh, she tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, Steve, Steve, follow me. And uh, she took me through to this uh, massive room with a huge long table in it. Uh, and uh, she said, look at this. I said, well, what, what am I looking at? Is this the, is this the cabinet office? And, and she said, no, no, this is where Theresa May has her breakfast. And it was this huge dining, this absolutely huge dining room. I look, this is like, come dine with me. It, like, like, <laughs> where they're f***ing around the underwear drawers and shit. <laughs> well, 
we didn't get we didn't quite get that far. Um, <laughs> well, that's a that's I, a draw you wouldn't want to. <laughs> well, we have no idea. Um, so, um, uh, Kwoana uh, then uh, said, "This is the cabinet office. Follow me <laughs> through the, through this other <laughs> set of double doors." Now, uh, this Kwoana is she a certified tour guide of Number Ten Downing Street? I or don't. <laughs> I don't think she was certified or qualified to give us a, uh, the tour that we were giving around there because when we went through to the cabinet office, which is absolutely magnificent, as you could imagine, this security guard comes <laughs> comes bounding <laughs> into the room. And he's not like a kind of, you know, half our security guard. This guy's got military training and comes in and goes, is there any particular reason why you walk through a closed door to get through here? And so... um Kuoana starts, uh, you know, batting her eyelashes and going, oh, um, well, uh, the doors were open. We were allowed through. And, and uh, I'd like you to leave immediately. Probably growling at us, this bloke. So we we run. Let's say run. Like mm-hmm. uh, like like naughty school kids. Back into the room <laughs> where, everyone's, where everybody's uh, mingling still. And I go and try and find the nearest tall, bald bloke so I can kind of blend in and <laughs> get lost in the crowd so we don't get kicked out. I like how the uh, the, the sort of combative security guard who realised he dropped the ball. Mm. And mm. it was probably a door he was supposed to be guarding. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Went out for a cigarette. That's lovely. I uh, That and uh, the photograph of Joanna... Uh-oh. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> The photo of her doing up Aaron's tie. Was, <laughs> <laughs> that was lovely. Bless him. It's Aaron, a noted animation producer who's never done a tie before. <laughs> what did you make of Pixar's latest film, Inside Out, Steve? I, I really enjoyed it. It was nice to see Pixar back on form as, as, it's, as it's often been described as. I wasn't awed by it as much as I've been by previous Pixar efforts, but it was it was a you know miles better than uh, anything they've released in say the last four or five years. Miles better than Brave, better than Cars Two. You know, I enjoyed the film. What did you think of the film, Ben? Well, I, it was okay. I think that as as the years go by, there are steps sort of going further and further away from the um, the the movie magic enchantment. I do recall there was a, a moment in the film. Where I guess it was like the sad moment, right? Mm-hmm. Identifiable, of course, by um, I'm going to make use of the uh, Zoom mic stereo capabilities here of when you're watching a film that's reached the sad moment and you start to hear like, <laughs> just all around in stereo, just people blubbering like children. Of course, they were children, most of them, so the joke's kind of on me, but still. Wasn't really uh, hitting me in the uh, emotional center because it was like a close-up shot of like the main character, and I'm just staring at it, going, "Oh, that particle effects on a loop, clever." Yeah, yes. But it really helps the, uh, the <laughs> with the efficiency of uh, with the production pipeline. <laughs> but all of it, I have to say, it's a the whole film, flawed as it may perceivably be, was a irrefutable masterpiece. Next to that. Sh- that started with the mountains. Yeah. The volcano love story. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> what the shit was that? I'm sorry, but even like a bad Pixar film, isn't the short film usually good? Yeah. <laughs> that was such trite, wilted, condescending. Where did that come from? 
Maybe we think that Inside Out was good because Lava was so terrible. Yeah, maybe they've kind of felt like, oh, we're not hitting the right beats. <laughs> we need to <laughs> we need to really put together a shitty short film so that by contrast this will absolutely come together perfectly. I can't remember who it was I was reading uh, who said that it looked like um, that if if you were to do a caricature of a Pixar film, you know, but Pixar rose one step ahead, you know, they'll always stick an extra layer on that even a caricature wouldn't be able to imagine on their own. And this was just like a kind of, yeah, there was nothing special about it, was there? It felt very inconsistent. Like the approach to the design of one volcano was completely at odds with the design approach to the, the girl volcano. Mm-hmm. Not to gender identify. You know about the Muppet mouth? You know what really bugged me? There was a wonderful series of animations by, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was Will Vinton Studios in Return to Oz where the the evil villain is this mountain man, like literally sort of a man that's sort of made out of a mountain. And he has all these little minions, not in the, you know, you know what I mean. Mm. Uh, <laughs> his eyes are kind of these sort of gnomes that sort of appear on all the rocks dotted around the land of arts. And it's these sequences where basically it's like claymation rock faces talking and reporting back to him. Uh, and, you know, just really fun, creepy, weird stop motion that you would only get in like an 80s film. And th- th- it's the central, so it's the binding thing of it's a face etched onto a rock and what fun you can have with that. Mm-hmm. The volcano in this short film, the lava film, it looked like a ventriloquist dummy. Yeah. The detail that went to the lip sync, like it was like it was being puppeteered. And, uh, you know, forgive me, I wasn't particularly moved by you know, the volcano's abilities to fart their way up to the surface of the water and be together (laughs) while singing some awful derivative, vaguely offensive Hawaiian ukulele ballad. Yeah. You're talking about better ways that this idea has been put forward. Have you seen, um, is it Das Rad, The Road, the German film about the rocks? Yes. Lovely film. Brilliant, isn't it? The way that they just sit on the, the, the sort of hillside and watch civilization happen. But it's done in sort of like, um, it's sped up, basically. So we're seeing the, ro- the rocks move at a sort of glacial pace. And uh, so the town is building up incredibly fast before our very eyes. And I thought that's what we were going to get with this film when I saw the concepts and, you know, everything else. But it was just a kind of, like you say, it was just a singing hill. Maybe we've been kind of spoiled. Even the ones that are kind of thin on the ground when it comes to concept like night and day or day and night whatever that was Mm -hmm. the way they executed that was like it was just enough to be fun and just enough to be interesting and kind of you know it wasn't the best short film they ever made but when you consider how threadbare the concept of that was Mm -hmm. that they were able to kind of really put their heads together and think okay now how do we how do we come up with an idea that's really cool in its execution as easy as it is to crap on disney's feast the boston terrier film at least that had a nice device with the editing yeah that moved things along at a certain clip and you know had a certain attention to detail to the actual acting and performance whatever the kind of eventual result was i do find that disney films are always going to be slightly an easy target because they're always going to have that disney sensibility to them but there was something i thought clever enough about that film and certainly the consideration and care they put into the rendering to make it not seem kind of, you know, just like every other, you know, CG opening short film. 
or to pander to the let's make another paperman cry that everyone has been after since paperman exactly yeah so yeah that was my little uh, that was my little volcanic eruption <laughs> I'm, I'm dreading if we ever get Matt Groening. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. maybe he'll finally give you that kiss. <laughs> Have we told that story on the... Uh... No, I've, I've only done it to death on Facebook. I, I, I don't think I'd ever want to tell that story because it would... I, I think the squiggly audience deserves to know. <laughs> I don't think either of us would. Because I good. remain to this day not sure whose side I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could put it to the public. <laughs> Should we do the votes like we used to do? (laughs) Right. Well, I'll tell the story, but be prepared to cut it. (laughs) So um, it was Annecy 2000 and... It was Annecy. It was back in the day. So when I was just a young... Anyway, um, it was Annecy a few years ago when Matt Groening was there. And obviously, as we were talking about the kind of... The the celebrity animator, he was uh, surrounded by people pretty much non-stop. And he was walking in the uh, in the in the kind of foyer of the the Bon Lou one day, and I saw him on his own. And I thought, ah, right. Well, here's the opportunity. He's on his own. I don't wish to be part of a huge crowd. I just want to ask him, tell him that I appreciate his work, and that I would like to, uh, if possible, get an autograph from him. Uh, so I approached him, and and as I approached him, a few other people approached him, mainly uh, ladies. And uh, he was happily signing autographs for the ladies. So I thought, oh, this is good. I can uh, I can get an autograph here. And um, he signed the first autograph, and this lady went, Oh, thank you very much. I will now give you a French kiss. And she kissed him on the cheek. Um, and he seemed very... It's not really a French kiss. But... No, no, I mean, you know, there was... Were... Bit of a bait and switch there. <laughs> but, uh, and, and then, so I was there, and I kind of went, Oh, 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 and sort of pushed my sort of sketchbook in his direction, and, uh, and he picked it up, looked at me, looked at the sketchbook, and passed it back to me. And so I looked at him, and said, and by this time the crowd had got quite big around him, and said, what if I gave you a French kiss? <laughs> and then he snapped in his head, and he went, I've got to go, where's Silverman? And started pushing through the crowd to get out, um, and left. So I ruined it for everyone. <laughs> in hindsight, do you think that was the best thing to say? Well, I'd already asked for an autograph, and he said no, so what more could I have said? One day, Steve. One day you'll get that kiss. Who's... I wasn't after the kiss, but, you know... Um, but... I kind of feel that bit didn't need clarification. <laughs> I was being whimsical. Oh, right, okay, yeah. As is my puckish way. <laughs> so whose side are you on, Squiggly audience? Twitter, <laughs> at Squiggly. <laughs> Hate mail to Steve at squiggly.co.uk. <laughs> it, probably, it probably haunts him, that moment. <laughs> Did that really happen? I, I did pucker up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, well. Steve, something you may have picked up on in recent correspondence, I had sort of become what my uh, my dear old nan would affectionately refer to as a miserable sack of shit. Um, <laughs> there was a certain um, sacky and shitty vibe coming from you, Ben. <laughs> I fell into one of the most like disrespectful, amateurish, wretched commissions of my freelance career. The absolute worst person to commission animation is someone who knows a little bit about it. <laughs> like with so many things in life, Stephen, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Mm. You get, go to an interview, it goes well, 
you think you have a job that's going to carry on for a while and then gradually over time the cracks start to show I mean, obviously, say a software company is trying to represent their product in a way that will have it sell. They will big up its virtues, all the ways the production pipeline flow will be eased. Things are made more convenient. So if someone is, quote unquote, researching how animation is made, and they look up a software package that's associated with TV animation, and they want to make a pilot, say, for a TV show, they'll look at the software demos completely misinterpret them and then just decide in their heads that they know enough about the ins and outs of it. Here are a couple of examples. One being that computers do all the lip sync for you now. Huh. Wow. And there was just these like little sort of tells that, you know, contracts weren't signed on time. I was told that stuff wasn't received by one person and then I was told by another person that they were collusion to kind of keep me out of the loop of certain things. Oh, my favorite bit, they didn't record the fucking dialogue, which needed to be delivered by a certain date, so I could animate the fucking thing! <laughs> of the little of the little they knew about animation. That's probably a big key thing that you do need to know. If you want your characters to speak... <laughs> Honestly, it was the one shitting thing they had to do. So to resolve the, the lack of a dialogue track, okay? The only way I can sort of like, and I says, well, why don't you just do the animation first and then we'll add the, the voices? I'm like, oh my God. Ha, uh, <laughs> the thing that I think kind of hammered at home the most that I was beholden to literal fucking amateurs was little sort of lines in the script of like, and at this point, this song plays. I'm like, okay. And they would name a song in a band. Let's say there was a shot of like, a stairway going up to heaven. Now, let's say you were the most unoriginal dimwit in the world. What song would you have accompany that visual, Stephen? A stairway going up into heaven. It's a head scratcher, ain't it? It's it's got to be highway to hell. <laughs> no, no, uh, I, yeah, yeah. The, the, here's the thing, Steve. What you suggested incorporated some element of actual fucking humour. <laughs> People can't see that you're waving your arms around in a kind of an actual rage. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> have you looked into how much, let's say it was Stairway to Heaven, have you looked into how much Stairway to Heaven actually costs? Like, what do you mean? Licensing costs. What's that? Well, oh my if you want to distribute the film... You, you need to pay for music if they're actual songs. You could get someone to do a sound alike, maybe, but uh, you can't actually have the actual song play without paying, you know, probably quite a lot of money, given that it's one of the most famous songs ever! <laughs> this is the point where I start looking around waiting for fucking Ashton Kutcher to pop out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On and on this shit goes. Uh, nearly two months. I've never been more relieved to be relieved of a, you know, <laughs> of a project. Uh, you know, when, when I got told, you know, okay, we're not going to carry on with this. Usually that's bad news. Then it got shitty because of, of payment issues and stuff like that. But yeah. we found a compromise that we were sort of happy with. I wasn't over the moon about it, but it was something that I could walk away from. But it's like a, it's the strangest business tactic I've ever seen to make yourselves so unimpressive 
as professionals and as men, Stephen, as men, <laughs> that the person will accept the stipend to just never have to deal with you again. Now, it's probably not a business tactic you or I would ever employ because we have dignity and self-regard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not an issue with these people. <laughs> Cardiff was sort of a mix, I think, of, for me at least, kind of new and old, not old, but films that I think that uh, being as active on the old circuit as we find ourselves, we'd seen quite a few of them mixed in with a few ones that were certainly new on me, which mm-hmm. was always nice. One, uh, one thing I will say, though, Ben, as we were sat through the Joanna Quinn talk, could you hear that absolutely obnoxious <laughs> behind us? There was someone, was it a woman? There was a man and a woman sat behind us near the back. Um, uh, I heard the woman. I didn't hear a guy. Oh, you're lucky. Um, what was he doing? He was just clearly trying to chat up this woman. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and there was a part where Joanna said um, to, the, to the audience, Oh, have we got time to see another film? And everyone went, yeah. And the guy went, no, on his own behind. And then you heard him go, oh, I've got a train to catch. And we only heard him. Me and uh, me and my. Are sure, that wasn't me. No, no. <laughs> we had to scarper out there. Well, you had, you actually had a train to catch. This guy was just just you know. He, he, uh, he was he was a bon mot to impress his lady friend. Yeah, but the, the, sh- the show Britannia, and he turned round and she must have been Spanish or something. And he turned round to her and went, "Well, huh, there's nothing like Spanish imperialism." And she went, "Oh no, British imperialism! No, no, Spanish imperialism! They've killed a million thousand people." Shut the f up! We're trying, to, <laughs> we're trying to watch Joanna Quinn. She's talking, not you. I don't want a f-ing lecture behind me when I've got, I've come to watch an animator. And I, I, I don't know whether or not he was an animator or if he was one of the live-action film crowd. But regardless, if you come to see a talk. Shut up and watch the talk. I uh, I remember um, with some fondness a, a few encounters ago when they were doing the animation screenings in the Arnolfini. There was some presentation. I, f- I forget exactly what it was. But um, in the row behind us, there was about five or six students, German kids, presumably from a German animation degree or something. They were, you know, like 19-year-old boys having fun, except we're indoors trying to watch this presentation. Uh, and two seats away from me is David Sproxton. And it got to the point where David Sproxton had enough, and David Sproxton just turns around and goes, Shh! It was a proper headmaster in assembly. <laughs> and I, I hope that they knew, they recognised him. Because they, well, they immediately shut up and were like sort of hangdog throughout the whole rest of the the <laughs> evening. But that was a wonderful moment. Like, David Sproxton, it is, is, you know, glory gave them a good old-fashioned British shushing. <laughs> One of my uh, one of my favourite uh, cringy cinema moments was um, uh, at the at Bradford Animation Festival uh, in two thousand and three, I believe it was, when Bill Plimpton came to uh, to to give a talk, and uh, I was there with with an, an old lecturer, and she was very enthusiastic about turning the Bradford mm-hmm. Animation Festival into the Annecy Animation Festival, which she'd been to previously. So she made a paper aeroplane and said, we need to make paper airplanes and throw them onto the stage. And she was the only one doing it. And mm. the second one she threw <laughs> nearly blinded Bill Plimpton. <laughs> it, went, it went and kind of, you could see it swerving around. And then it kind of did this bizarre twist in the air and then went straight and he <laughs> straight into his eye from the left-hand side. <laughs> yeah. 
cinema etiquette, eh? Yeah. I love it when people just don't quite get the tradition. <laughs> like, I always, I always err on the side of, like, I very rarely, like, do any of that stuff. Mm. I may have thrown in paper aeroplane or two in my, in my, you know, rebellious youth, you know, three years ago. <laughs> but yeah, the people who would like, because I guess, like, if you got the, the paper airplane on the stage, people cheer. Yeah, in honesty. I remember one guy, like, he got the paper airplane and it, like, didn't actually get onto the stage itself, but it cleared the audience and someone, I guess, thought that that was the cue to cheer. So this dumb p- goes, whoa! <laughs> 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 oh, just uh, just stretching <laughs> legs. Oh. We have some of the squiggly team with us. Hey, uh, hello. Katie Steed and Julia Young. Uh, we're just talking about stuff that we're looking forward to this week. And obviously the Rounders game, which is the highlight of my festival every year. Oh, yeah. what, what's happening with that now? Is that anything to do with us anymore? Or it is. is it... not, it's, it's unofficially but officially to do with us. It's a squiggly trophy, <laughs> yeah. but it's not been advertised as such. Oh. But it's, it's the Joanna Quinn Memorial, but she doesn't like us saying memorial trophy. <laughs> yeah. Sounds a bit like she's dead, to be it fair. Does, does. She's very does. much alive. We have to state <laughs> yes. that Joanna, Joanna Quinn, Quinn is alive, alive and yes. kicking and making a film <laughs> yeah. and lovely. She's alive. Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Joanna Quinn is not dead. (laughs) Memorial. One of these years, Joanna Quinn will actually show up to Annecy for a rounders game. It'll be amazing. I feel like this year we need a better like list of rules because you know I nearly, (laughs) I I nearly printed them off off in English like German and French because every year I get accused of cheating. (laughs) There were some very offended Spanish guys last year as they ran with it like inside the bases and Katie was going, "You can't do that." And they were going, "Oh, but that's not how we play it." But it's always fun, and everyone listening should come and play. (laughs) As long as you play by the rules. Yes, (laughs) rules are there for a reason. They make the fun more fun. I think we've all learned a little bit about some Annecy traditions. <laughs> well, thank, uh, have, you maybe... li- have you heard about how much Aaron's been practicing for the pedalo race? Uh, not from him. Well, <laughs> ask him. It's been it's been weekly gym sessions with with pedalo in mind. Let's give that a whirl. Aaron, could you would like? <laughs> so, Aaron's so silent. Here and we saw one. Yeah, you did. No, you kicked his ass. Mostly because I leapt from my boat onto Aaron's boat and accidentally punched one of his co-boating yes, people in the face. <laughs> we heard about this. We heard it was carnage last year. Tell us about the carnage. I punched her in the face. Well, there you go. <laughs> and we still only came third. <laughs> was it worth it? Was it really worth it? Totally. <laughs> I got my caveat. And, and, and where is she now? I know she runs every time she sees me. <laughs> But apart from that, you should come to the pedalo race, anyone listening. It's great fun. Yeah, if you, if you uh, have no qualms with physical assault <laughs> <laughs> and good old-fashioned competitive fun. It's like being in school again. We could all take a punch in the face every once in a while. It was fine. Well, super. super. Well, I will look forward to my usual role in both the pedalo race and the rounders game. Spectrum. Watching from the sideline. <laughs> So, um, sticking to the ocean, Ben, have you seen that uh, uh, Finding Dory is uh, (laughs) causing a splash (laughs) uh, amongst scientists? (laughs) I I saw something in the old uh, Facebook ticker there. Yeah. Between news about Donald Trump and Caitlyn Jenner and all that. (laughs) Uh, What's what's this film done now? (laughs) Well, uh, when the last film came out, uh, 
there was a, a shocking decline in um, clownfish, uh, the the star of the show, the, uh, the little orange uh, creatures that live in the coral reefs, uh, because people watch them on um, on the on the film and decided, oh, I wouldn't mind a clownfish, a pet clownfish, without realizing that these animals that they were buying in pet shops weren't farmed; they were actually just captured uh, from the wild and then uh, put into fish tanks, which really strikes me as odd. That that to me is the same as imagine if fur coat sales went up after 101 Dalmatians hmm. because the film Finding Nemo is about it's about captivity it's about you're supposed to do the opposite after seeing that film aren't you yeah but on the same on the other hand ah you know <laughs> and if you can get like a little uh, orange fish with a little blue fish and you can watch them swim around and you can name them after the characters and be like oh it's like watching little sort of live action plays. Three weeks of fun before they die. Yeah, have one of them have a kid and then take the kid away and watch its despair. <laughs> Throw a pike into your fish tank. And be like, this is high drama. We're making our own films, yeah. Have you ever been tempted to buy the animal equivalent of one of your beloved, cherished, anthropomorphized cartoon characters? No, but I will say when we were younger, uh, in order to get a pet dog, uh, me and my brothers... Uh, it was during the summer holidays, and we were like, uh, "Yeah, do you want to watch? A, do you want to watch a film, Mum?" And uh, my parents were dead set against getting a, a a dog. But then we'd put on like Beethoven, 101 Dalmatians, all these films with puppies in and and, and dogs and animals and stuff, and uh, old dogs go to hell and all that kind of stuff. And we'd watch these videos, and within a couple of weeks, my mother was like, "Oh, we should get a dog." <laughs> <laughs> it worked. There you go. Um, but yeah. Yeah, one of my big disappointments was seeing like a real roadrunner. Yeah. First of all, they're slow as shit. Mm-hmm. And they don't say meep meep. Fing lies. Or do that thing that with the tongue that yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Pathetic. Did you see a coyote? Did it have any signs on it? Yeah, the coyote was just standing next to it, completely indifferent. <laughs> I think that this is you know I was sort of tempted to maybe get like a cat and a chihuahua yeah. to watch their uh their mayhem and hijinks. Uh, or a cow and a chicken, mm. um, and, and other cartoons that had animals in. <laughs> yep, exhausted that one. Next subject. <laughs> so there's been a couple of trailers, uh, particularly released recently, that have uh, are of interest to me, but not animation trailers, although they do have animation in them. You've clearly seen the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer, Ben. Nope. No, I don't believe you. I've seen a still of it. Right, okay. You know, what disappoints me sometimes about social media, if I ever actually try and think about something I'm going to post, it always disappoints me. Yeah. Because it's, ne- it's never a good response, and so what I thought I would do to be puckish and delightful, I have a whole bunch of digitized home movies, so I put together like some old home movies of me and friends playing Ninja Turtles, and just put them up on like Twitter and Facebook, like, hey, the new Ninja Turtles trailer looks great. People click on it and see this, you know, these kids playing Ninja Turtles. Ah, it wasn't my best work, but it was like it was the, it was you know the sort of the idle thoughts of, of minutes. You upload something to Facebook. All I got was people reading the thing that says the new Ninja Turtles trailer looks great and agreeing with me. <laughs> no, it's a joke. I don't actually think the new Ninja Turtles trailer looks great. So yeah, that's completely sullied my online persona. People who did watch it probably just think I just have footage of kids. Playing, <laughs> wearing masks. 
You've done a lot for your reputation, Ben. <laughs> you really have. Swing and a miss at every level. <laughs> so the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trailer has brought me nothing but pain and despair and misery, and I've not even seen it yet. <laughs> if they had it on TV, I'd give it... I mean, it's amazing how much time you give something if it's just on TV. Mm. I've given, like, entire five-minute chunks of time to just the worst movies ever made when they're just on. There's one I saw. You might have a bit more information about this. When I was kind of in the, the absolute last stretch of this project that's been kicking my ass, I basically just had lunch breaks. And that was the only sort of time I sort of had, like, you know, 15 minutes to have a sandwich. And one day there was a, uh, this film. It was a sequel. I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, it was one of those ones, uh, CG animation. It's really hard because the description doesn't narrow it down at all. It's animals. Right, it's a okay. bunch of animals. It's like a motley crew of animals. The two main characters are like a deer and this other deer that he's going to marry. And he's, what I picked up of the story, he's chickened out of marrying her. Or he left her at the altar or something, and now they're on this adventure together, so they're kind of bickering. And they're trying to save this other animal that's trapped in a caravan. And Billy Connolly was one of the voices. Oh, you're talking about Open Season 2, 3? Yes, yep. Open Season it was. Yeah. Dreadful. <laughs> I mean, I, was it like a straight-to-video sequel? Yeah. Because yeah, oh, okay, yeah, the CG was so poorly rendered. It was like student film, bad student film quality. How many times has Billy Connolly cropped up in a film as an angry man? I'm sure he played the same role in that film as he did in The Hobbit. Yeah. And they were both in terrible CGI. So, you know, what, have, you seen the, have you seen The Hobbit film? Uh, the first one. Oh, right, okay. And then we're talking just, about the new ones, right? Yeah, and you wisely gave in. Yeah. I just about managed The Lord of the Rings, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. And the, Hobbit, the whole approach with The Hobbit to, like, stretch it over three films... Whereas The Lord of the Rings was condensed into three films. Yeah. Um, they It's a very, very different type of pacing that I just felt was a bit too much, you know. Mm. But well, it has its audience. It's doing very well. So it wasn't good, are you saying, the one with Billy Connolly? Well, Billy, Billy Connolly turned up and, and, you know, I heard his voice and I, I love Billy Connolly. I think he's great. Um, he's one of the funniest men alive. And um, he turned up in the film and I was like, that's Billy Connolly! And then it, really, it dawned on me that he was playing a CGI dwarf. All the other dwarves in the film are like have this fantastic, this fantastic makeup effect that that Weta have created to give them all you know big rosy cheeks and massive mustaches, all this kind of beards and mm. braids and all this kind of stuff. And yet Billy Connolly turns up, standing out like a sore thumb. This CGI crappy sort of thing with this with Billy Connolly's voice, and I'm watching it thinking. Billy Connolly's, he's got a beard. He's got a, he had to do is put a helmet on him. And so they didn't actually, like, use Billy Connolly's no. features or anything? No. But just, the other dwarves are actors? The other dwarves are actors, yeah, yeah. Oh. Because he's, he, was, he was riding a pig. They could have done what they did. <laughs> so so they, could have, they could have done, like, a Bernie Clifton or something. And have him, you know, like, with the guy with the ostrich. This is why I can never see that film now, because... What what I'm picturing in my head when you're telling me that dwarf Billy Connolly is riding a pig, yeah, the movie's never going to live up to that <laughs> in reality. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, there was certain animation that scared the bejesus out of me. Go on. 
I'm sure everyone kind of has things from their past that used to give them nightmares. I'm sorry, you know? Ben. I sounded like your uh, I sounded like your psychiatrist there. <laughs> you know, you're talking about your childhood nightmares, and I'm go on, <laughs> carry on. That's okay. Finally, someone's listening to me. Shall we see what some of the people from uh, from Twitter said? About what scared them yeah, as kids. Yeah, little wusses. <laughs> <laughs> this is JK Ricky at Animator JKR. My younger cousin used to cry and run and hide when the giant tiger head came up out of the sands in Aladdin. <laughs> that's a good one. That's, a, that's a really good one. Jenny Hall at Jenny underscore Hall. It's Jenny with one N. Pinocchio. Pinocchio? Yeah. Uh, half boy, half puppet, half donkey. Oh, you've crossed a very creepy line there, Disney. Well, well done for the fractions there, Jen. Uh, oh, fair enough. I think I saw online somewhere. If Pinocchio were released today, it wouldn't be a PG because of the amount of drinking, mm. fighting, smoking. I mean, I mean, if after they after he turned into a donkey, if they'd taken him to you know Tijuana and made him do one of those special shows, then I could see you know, making a case for it being <laughs> disturbing, but like, maybe that was the director's cut, I don't know. Uh, Sampo Rask, at Sampo Rask on Twitter, since Spider Baby Mutant Toy from Toy Story 1 was horrifying. Yeah. That was a guy who, who, yeah, he had the toys and he reconfigured all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 that was a, okay. quite, a, quite a sort of terrifying scene, really, for such a... That Yeah, I, I remember being kind of sort of surprised, because I I mean, I wasn't a kid kid when that film came out, but I was like 12 maybe, and, and I wasn't expecting it. Mm. Yeah, considering the rest of the film was very sort of bright, lovely pastel colours, you know, and then all of a sudden you get the horror <laughs> of like, yeah. a, you know, these spider baby mutant toys. Um, the baby in Toy Story 3 was pretty scary. Oh, yeah. And there wasn't even a spider. It was just like an old broken doll big baby but it was just sort of creepy yeah that's very creepy when it's sitting on the swing and it's looking at the moon and yeah Ugh. and his head turns around <laughs> the director Lee Unkrich is a big fan of The Shining so he did creepy very well but I must say the most creepiest thing Pixar ever did was the baby in the original Tin Toy in Tin Toy I saw that like a month ago yeah for the first time kill that thing with fire <laughs> Jesus, what? It's like the thing from The Ring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I swear to God, I booked my vasectomy the next day. <laughs> I, I'm surprised I hadn't seen it. I must have been aware of it, yeah. but hadn't seen the whole thing the whole way through. And yeah, it's like this baby that I guess because of the whatever system they had in place, the polygon distribution or whatever wasn't quite uh, ready yet for, for realistic human animation this baby looks like its face is melting yeah. and it's got this scary kind of insane manic movement to it you know it's um oh. it's gonna be the last baby that you'll see before you die james rusty hayner at imnas a-e-m-n-a-s scary for animators black cauldron Ooh, meow zing. <laughs> i mean what freaked me out and i'm not sure if it was the animation so much you remember roger rabbit you're going to talk about uh, Judge Doom at the end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that did terrify me a little bit as a kid. <laughs> but I think maybe because it was a mix <laughs> with live action as well. When he's getting run over by the steamroller. Yeah, yeah, and he's freaking out, and then he comes back to life. Yeah. And it was the... I think it was the actually coming back to life, and he's all flat. Yeah. And he's kind of like... Uh, he's trying to find purchase, and he keeps like sort of nearly falling over. <laughs> and it has this really kind of... 
Harryhausen style creepy stop motion he looked to it yeah yeah and then he takes out his eyes and he's got the cartoon eyes underneath yeah that film took a turn it's, yeah <laughs> well. when he blows himself up with helium and you see his gloves inflating it was all fun and games until that point Steve how are you doing I'm fine Ben how are you I'm uh I'm, well, there's always something wrong with me <laughs> this year has been terrible I've just gotten the uh mobility of my mouth back which is uh good because i kind of need it to talk uh i'm sure to the distress of many people who were hoping i'd shut up for a little while <laughs> but i'm on the mend although i had to go back for like a sort of clean yesterday and uh i don't know if you ever dealt with this just sort of quickly this is this does lead back to squiggly by the way <laughs> this time i was seeing a, a woman dentist at the clinic and um i've never had a woman dentist before which wasn't my choice. You know, I'm not a dental misogynist. So she was, you know, very helpful, helped me out with uh, my issue. Except that she decided to do it, like, from behind me. So she's going into my mouth, like, looking upside down at me, right? While her breasts are resting on my forehead. Now, I don't know if this is, like, standard dental practice. Because from that angle, I guess, where else are they going to go, you know? Do you pay extra or...? Well, it was private, so maybe that's sort of part and parcel. This <laughs> clinic is known for their reputation of putting patients at ease. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the methods. And it wasn't solicited, obviously, but at the same time, it wasn't the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> so last night I had, because we're, we're recording this relatively early in the morning compared to when we usually do it. So a mere couple of hours ago, I was uh, uh, having my very first squiggly anxiety dream which has never happened in the five years that I've been doing Squiggly. I don't know if you've ever sort of had this as we start to do more and more with Squiggly. I had this dream that I was presenting uh, a special screening of Anomalisa. Okay. And I guess it was at the Barbican, and it was going terribly. And I had decided to include in my introduction a filmed version of the interview with the director, who for some reason in the dream was Terry Jones. Okay. Not Charlie Gavin. And I had decided to edit it in this really avant-garde way that just made it not make any sense. And, like, everyone was, like, talking amongst themselves in the audience. Terry Jones is in the audience looking at me like, dude, what the f***? <laughs> and then you arrive to save it, to save the day. Like, you sort of, like, burst through the doors of the barbican. It's like, it's okay, Steve's here. Standard. <laughs> and so, yeah. Then you start like going, and then you you sort of launch into your own introduction for it. But you've come up with all these abbreviations for animation terms that really resemble racial epithets. <laughs> so at this point, everyone's like act actively booing, and then I sort of like lean because I'm sitting in the audience at this point, watching with horror that this is like under. And then they start playing the film, but instead of a screen, they're playing it into a box, like a big sort of like. <laughs> box without a fourth wall so it's all wrong like it's all the you're only seeing like the middle bit of the screen everything else is on the side and at that point the woman sitting behind me taps me on the shoulder and i sort of look back and it's my dentist uh the woman dentist and she sort of like pulls my shoulders back and starts wrapping plastic wrap around my head with her breasts resting on my forehead as she was earlier in the day presumably to end my worthless life and then I woke up. Oh my god. <laughs> so I guess what's going to happen now is like, because now I have the recurring dreams are like secondary school, which I think is quite common, like this recurring dream of like not going to one certain class or not studying for one certain exam or whatever. 
when I'm in my 40s, I'm going to be have a whole mess of, like, squiggly recurring dreams, I'm sure, <laughs> of, like, not getting to the interview on time, like, you know, doing the presentation all wrong. This is, you know. I, I love that. And I think that uh, this year's Manchester Animation Festival, we should try and recreate that. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. I'll come up with a little bit of racism. <laughs> Somebody's felt the wrath of Hayao Miyazaki's... Uh, Criticism. Have you seen this video uh, that's that's been doing the rounds uh, online? Of course, yes. This is one of the this is one of the best things I've seen um, <laughs> in years. I, I think we were talking a little bit about him in the last episode. We did, yeah. We mentioned that he 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 is come out of retirement, and by the judging by this video, uh, retirement for the fourteenth time or however many times he's retired hasn't softened him. No. No, he doesn't f*** around. He doesn't, he doesn't mince his words. There's a video online called uh, Hayao Miyazaki's Thoughts on an Artificial Intelligence, and you can find this on a uh, YouTube channel, uh, Manhattan Project for a Nuclear-Free World. And, um, yeah, it's scathing stuff, isn't it? Yeah, you're watching someone's soul get crushed. <laughs> like, he's basically completely... Obli- well, let's, let's, let's punch it up, because I, I just want to watch this again. Presentation of artificial intelligence model which learns certain movements. So these guys are showing Miyazaki their demo for something they're developing. Essentially, it's intuitive AI animation. But the um, demonstration model is this zombie-esque, you know, corpse that's all twisted up in what looks like pain, but kind of like horror movie movement. You know, the, the limbs are all kind of crossed over and stuff like that. And it's crawling over the floor. The perfect thing you'd want to show... To Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> when you look at his body of work, you think, oh, he'll f-ing love this. <laughs> and he's, like, he's just looking at his, you know, watch. And he's like, well, and this is what he says. Every morning, I see a friend of mine who has a disability. It's so hard for him to just do a high five. That's a little f***ed up that he's making his friend with a disability high five him. But let's, <laughs> let's skirt around that for now. Uh, his arm with stiff muscle reaching out to my hand. Basically, he's taking issue with the rather insensitive-looking uh, character. This zombie character kind of looks like he's twisted up, like someone with cerebral palsy might have, or something. I guess is his issue, or someone with some kind oh, of ailment. It, it kind of reminds. It's a little bit too extreme for a disability. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki has, has likened it to a disability, but it does look like something from a zombie film. As the guy said, that this is an application that they could use for. This, uh, this artificial intelligence animation, but it also reminds me of, do you remember a film called Going to the Store, uh, where it was just this kind of rubbery, naked, anime, uh, CG animated guy who was walking in a very bizarre way. Yeah, yeah, yeah the crazy sort of like all over the place. Um, one of my favourite things actually was seeing Barry Purvis reenact that <laughs> on stage. Rather well, actually. He's quite limber. <laughs> oh, Barry. I remember, yeah, I remember that. It's similar to that, really, isn't it? But this here that's been shown to Miyazaki is an unfinished product. It's something that, that doesn't work, and it and it, it is really uncanny and creepy and twisted lit- in, in, the, in the literal sense. And sometimes, actually, when a video game f***s up, like it glitches out, mm. and the character will get all like contorted and stuff, it almost feels a bit like that, mm. in a way. So, yeah, it doesn't feel... But I guess it's... The idea is that the eventual thing would be used for... I mean, it would have a great video game application if it was for, like, a zombie 
type game. You'd want something with an intuitive sense of AI, where to go, what to do, you know, attack patterns, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess they, they're trying to develop some kind of intuitive animation system for filmmaking or storytelling. Is that right? Yes. Or something along those lines. So, so they feel like they're doing something that's on the, the cutting edge and they think that the master of, of animation will be suitably impressed. And uh, they're in for a rude awakening. <laughs> what else did he say? Referring to his disabled friends, he says, Now thinking of him, uh, I can't watch this stuff and find it interesting. Whoever creates this stuff has no idea what pain is. I'm utterly disgusted. If you really want to make creepy stuff, go ahead and do it. I would never wish to incorporate this technology into my work at all. I strongly feel this is an insult to life itself. <laughs> and then, then it cuts across to this guy, and he's just he's got the greatest, like, I'm having my dick handed to me face. I'm just like, uh-huh. Right, like he's not crying, but like he's he's beleaguered, and he's just like looking at the ceiling, like, okay, don't lose it. Um, yeah, this is just an experiment. We don't mean anything by it. So anyway, and so yeah, the other Studio Ghibli guy Suzuki says, so what is the plan? And then he says the dumbest thing I think you would ever want to say to Miyazaki: We want to build a machine that can draw pictures like humans do. Now, that's kind of like saying it like a sort of conference of like, you know, retail workers. Like, we want every one of your chain stores to have automatic checkout tills yeah. and render you completely redundant. We want to eliminate the human element from animation whatsoever. Perhaps the most human art form there is. What a terrible thing to say. We want to eliminate humans from it. It's weird, like, the way AI is getting so astute now. And it picks up on humanity, but it picks up on the most obvious components of humanity as far as what's out there in the world of social media. So you get these AI bots, like Twitter bots and things like that, that are sort of designed to develop a personality from observation. And within days, they're completely racist. <laughs> yes. I'm not even, I'm not even f***ing around. This is like, they've had to yeah, take him offline. They've tried it again. Same thing happens. It's weird how that's the easiest thing for a machine to grasp. Is just the shittiness of humanity. Miyazaki obviously is a he's a guy who puts an awful lot of of humanity and and, and empathy in his into his work and understands uh, the human condition. And these guys just want to be able to obviously they see the beauty in that because they want to recreate it. Mm. But Miyazaki can only see it through his own through his own set of eyes and through his own pencil and through the pencil of other artists like him. So it's it's really a bit of a, a bit of car crash telly, really, isn't it? I've not seen the full documentary, but you can sort of tell at the end that the context of this clip is actually, you know, you're you're more sympathetic to Miyazaki in the sense that it's almost as though he's being told that this is the way of the future and this is sort of the way things are going to go after he shuffles off the old coil there. Mm. The last line in this clip is something along the line, what was it? Yeah, I feel like we're nearing the end times, which is a bit bleak. I don't know where the documentary goes from there, but it sort of implies that that's a part of a documentary that's reached its somber moment, and these younger developers were kind of the catalyst for that somber moment of Mm -hmm. like, well, this is the way it's going, and this beautiful art form that I've contributed to that me and my peers have helped create and propagate is going to be regarded as archaic and something that's replaceable, and the man-made element of it is being regarded already as sort of expendable 
That may be completely wrong. I've not seen the whole thing, but that seemed to be what I picked up on. Sure, well, sure, you've got to contextualise these things, but that that that, uh, <laughs> that excruciating conversation clearly took place. I'm sure he didn't just go into the office to give those kids a bollocking and then went to his back to his light box to say, oh, it's the end of times. Um, but uh, very interesting viewing nonetheless. Uh, and I would be interested to see how the technology continues from there. It is sort of interesting what they're doing. I just think you've got to know your f***ing audience. (laughs) Good for him. Give him hell. (laughs) Oh, we're delightful. (laughs) Oh, my sides. My goodness. Do I really sound like that? I'm afraid so, Ben. Well, thank you all for joining us for all our crazy adventures over the last five years. And I hope you'll join us for the next five years. Or, if it's not five years, however long it goes on until one of us gets bored of it. We're, we're contracted for the next five years now, Ben. We've got a few more episodes left in us, I think, before we completely run out of steam. <laughs> well, join us for the next episode of the Squiggly Podcast, where we'll be doing our usual thang. I said thang instead of thing, because I'm down with the kids. Good stuff. Until episode 71, happy animating. <laughs> <laughs>